Hello and welcome to FireDev, a fireside chat with people in the industry. Today, my guest is Pascal Tonica. Pascal, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. The weather was decent in the UK, but you know, it's you. You know what the UK weather's like. Everyone's heard of it. You know, around the world. So it's you know, it's up and down. The fact that we got some nice days, I think that's a blessing in itself. Exactly. So you can even enjoy the the, the less good days even more. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's one of those things that you just you don't know when the last days are gonna be. Because you know, every summer you you kind of get this feeling, especially in the UK. You you get to about September, and you still have some decent days, and you're like, we're in September. The days are still decent. It's almost like it's not gonna end. And then you wake up, and then you realize. <laughs> all the good days are gone like it, it just drops like you'll yeah. get some like really good like mid-20s high-20s days sometime in september and then the next day is just cold and horrible and you realize it's not coming back till next you know june definitely i can relate to that i mean we are not as famous for our some kind of weather situation over here in germany but sometimes the summer feel like this over here uh, because it sometimes does not even really start off and then out of the sudden it's gone and you're thinking, okay, what happened in between? I don't know. I can't recall it. Mm, but yeah, it's, that's, that's the way it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been to Germany once uh, and from what I remember, I did go in the summer to be fair, but I remember the weather being warmer than the UK, like it feeling nice and warm. Yeah, it can get, get really hot in here as well. Yes. I mean, temperatures up to something like 40 degrees Celsius easily in the summertime. Yeah, the, that's definitely more than what you would expect in the, you know, <laughs> the UK. I mean, the UK has been getting warmer over the last few years. It does seem to be like almost every year there's some new heat record in the UK. But yeah, generally speaking, it doesn't get that hot. But yeah, I remember Germany was good weather. Another thing I noticed in Germany, very clean. It, it is, indeed. Very That's clean. About it, yeah. Yeah, the most clean. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, I mean, I guess that's, you know, obviously, you know, German people, very clean, very to the point, <laughs> you know, you know, you know, get stuff done. So, you know, which was nice to see because, like, you know, in the UK, there's plenty of places where they're not the cleanest. Uh, you know, they, they, you know, there's a lot of rubbish, a lot of litter. And yeah, you know, it could be better. I mean, there's worse, worse places, especially considering you know, I've been to, you know, Asia as well. But it, Germany are, are, are very impressed with the cleanliness. It, you know, it's very good. <laughs> the, the, it was one of the things you, you just wouldn't see anyone walking by and just throwing something on the floor. It was no, normally it's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it, to talk about that, is there any like fines or strict laws behind it, or is it more of a cultural thing? It's, I mean, it's more of a cultural thing. It's more of a common understanding. Of course, we do also have like these laws that regulates things, but no one actually is really taken care of um, on the purification side. So. Um, so people just behave like it, but not everywhere. And of course, you can also find up, find a lot of messed up places over here in Germany easily. It really depends on where you are. But let's say in the common areas, in the common space, uh, in the common public space, it's most of the time it's very tidy. Yeah, it is. You know, very clean, very tidy. Yeah, because uh, me and my wife went to Dubai not too long ago. When we were there, I mean, it's, uh, Dubai is renowned for being very clean, but they 
have very strict laws. Uh, you know, their laws are very strict around, you know, not just cleanliness, but, you know, stealing, you know, anything like that. So the reason none of that goes there, because obviously, you know, the fe- you know the fear of it. And even jaywalking or, because I remember when we would book a taxi and that like, you could, the amount of times I saw a taxi driver did not want to stop too long, you know, and wait for you just because they were scared of the fine. And I remember I asked them how much the fine was and I converted it to pounds. And I was like, that's a pretty hefty fine, <laughs> uh, you, you know, just for you know, staying an extra minute or so at the side, you know, where you shouldn't be really, but you know, it's safe, uh, you know, waiting for your passenger, you know, stuff like that. I was like, Jesus, or, you know, if you go through a red light or, you know, if you jaywalk, you know, that sort of stuff, like the fines are pretty hefty. It makes you definitely not want to do it again because it's one of those things that you you could easily rack up a few times because unlike a speeding ticket in the UK, you can avoid that pretty easily. Like you can stick to the 70 miles an hour speed limit, like on the motorways, and it's you're probably not going to be going over it too often, whereas you know, just staying at the side somewhere with your car, you, you know, that's something yeah, that you yeah. commonly do in the UK. I would do it all, I do it all the time. If <sighs> I need to wait for someone, I, I'll just put my car there. And, you know, the odd time I have got fine if there's like a camera, but generally speaking, you know, it's usually fine. I'll have a quick scan. I'll be like, oh, I can't really see any equipment that's going to, you know, you know, pick me up. I will just leave it. But there they were saying they've got cameras, they got like laser some sort of laser system and some other system as well to detect what the cars are doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean they're very strict on those things. But it seemed to work somehow, you know, with all this uh fines and strict rules. Um so as always saying, uh it either hurts too much to so you don't do it or you have a um personal need to change things and do do it differently. So um i guess it works with the fines over there yeah i mean it does the you know fear can be a very strong motivator the thing is it's like uh, i don't know about in germany you know they must have them there as well i guess but speed bumps you know for for yeah, you know, vehicles the only reason people stop for speed bumps isn't because they care about anyone else it's because they don't want to damage the car and have to, you know, pay for new tires or new suspension. You know, it, 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 it's purely a selfish reason. It's like, you know, when I see a speed bump and I notice it and it's like a really harsh one, I'll be like, oh, I, do, I definitely do not want to pay for tires. You know, or, you know, the springs or, you know, something like that. It is pure selfishness that, you know, oh, you stop for that. Uh, but again, it works. There's totally nothing great. you can do about it. Because you know the bumps are there. It there's nothing changing that uh and obviously if you've got laws that you know are enforced there's nothing changing that so you end up behaving definitely totally agree to what you said yeah uh, so you know getting into the podcast you work at crytech as director of cry engine enterprise solutions you know what does that entail because people will have heard of crytech a lot of people will have heard of CryEngine, but Enterprise Solutions sounds a bit, you know, unknown, I would say, for the average listener out there. Okay, so let me just give you a better or a better picture, a better understanding of what I'm actually doing. So um, actually, actually, the title changed a little bit. It's like um, Director of Enterprise Solution without the CryEngine uh, in, in the 
title anymore, but this is just because it's more related to the whole Crytek and not just to CryEngine. So I'm working off at CryEngine and um, I res uh, am responsible for the non-gaming branch, especially with our work we're doing with CryEngine. Uh, this being said, this means I'm working with different kind of industries and industry partners um, doing some kind of serious games business or non-gaming related business. Uh, such as training and simulation, but also like uh, publicly funded research projects uh, where we work together close with um, different kind of universities and uh, industrial partners to develop new kind of features, um, technical features especially, which are not standard to CryEngine or not even standard to other um, competitors to build customized solutions. That's one th um, of the things I'm um, being in charge of. On the other hand, I'm also um, trying to work on our media exploration, uh, cross-media exploration, especially we hold a, a quite huge back uh, catalog for IPs. So um, over the course of the last 22 years since Cry uh, Crytek exists, we did a, developed quite a few games um, which are widely uh, renowned or famous uh, like Crisis and uh, the original Far Cry and uh, and uh, Rise Son of Rome, just name of a few or Hunt, our latest ones. But these IPs, they can also not just be um, explored via games or gaming, but uh, of course, there's a huge interest in rich um, IP worlds for different kind of media like film and TV, um, episodic uh, formats, serial formats, but also um, books and uh, music. Um, so what we're doing, we're partnering up with different kind of um, entertainment partners to make, uh, to, to make sure that these kind of rich IP worlds also find their way into different kind of media. And um, then the, as the third born of it, as I already mentioned, it is the research and development partnering with different kind of universities. Um, just to give you a, a short example, at the, the most recent project I'm doing, it's a three years uh, publicly funded project uh, with two universal partners, uh, university partners, sorry. Um, and we developed a VR um, system, training and simulation system that works with light AI. Um, so we developed like with our partners, uh, two different kinds of AIs. One is acting as an overall supervising AI system that observes whatever you're doing within the application and can, um, adopt the training scenario based on your behavior within the scenario, but also um, there's an actual physical supervisor who control the uh, abilities of the AI and, uh, and can um, control how much impact the AI actually is going to generate on the training itself. And then on the other hand, we have another uh, AI that is more like a personal trainer worn on yourself because we're collaborating with uh, different kind of technology partners in this specific specific case it's tesla suit uh, and tesla suit is a full body motion tracking suit that also have a lot of sensors in the suit not just for motion capturing but also for physical and haptic feedback and uh, so we can interact with the virtual world in reality as well this is meant uh, for free roam VR training. So up to 150 square meters, multi-user. Uh, you have a sandbox system, a system where you set up your training environment. 
uh, exploring it in 2D, then it starts to, to be built in, um, automatically into 3D. And then you start your uh, training and you can have different kinds of goals in there. And then you have something so-called like body post detection observed by the uh, motion capturing sensors of the suit and with an ideal standard for how each exercise should be executed. And then the AI observes if this fits into the uh, regulars or into the patterns. And then it can also sanction it your actions or um, even also um, give you some kind of physical or uh, visual or um, audio feedback if you did things right or wrong. And this is quite interesting because it's a, it's a very holistic approach, which has a bit, have, hasn't had done so far um, for this kind of training and simulation. Okay, I mean, there's a lot there to unpack. Like the the first thing I want to ask about, you said about like books and you know music. Can you you know dive a bit more into you know what that you know entails and what it is, and also some examples that people you know could Google or would have heard of. Yes. Um, for sure. Um, just imagine one of our latest um, games is called Hunt Showdown. Mm -hmm. And uh, for Hunt Showdown, we do everything in-house, not just uh, the visual production, not just like all the commercials and uh, all um, trailers and, 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 and media production in-house, but um, all the music and all the sound design and everything is built in-house. So for this specific game, we also created a band, in-house band, um, which do compose and perform all the original um, uh, music for the game. And this become, uh, became quite famous within the gaming community. And nowadays, it's not just a, a huge success within the gaming community, but also you can download it and stream it on uh, Spotify, um, Apple Music, and all bigger streaming portals, and it's getting quite successful. Uh, it uh, has a huge fan base, even from people who never played the game so far. So this is one of the examples which I was recalling. Okay. And you said that Crytek does everything in-house. Is that like literally everything, including marketing and campaigns? Exactly. So we have different kinds of teams. Of course, we have a um, production chain that is pretty much um, standi uh, standardized, like um, pipeline work. But um, besides the pure production work um, that is necessary to produce a game, uh, we have all the different kinds of de departments, even for um, the uh, server structure, for um, Online services, marketing, PR, everything that is related to the social marketing, everything is in-house. Um, and even if I recall to in-house, um, as we changed our working policies two years, almost two years ago, to a remote, a remote or hybrid uh, first model, um, we're still talking about in-house because these people are working remote, but they are employees of Crytek and they can work literally all over the world. Um, which our team is is really um, thankful for, but we still have a, like a core group that is working within our office in Frankfurt, uh, and with an overall headcount of almost like five hundred people at the moment. Um, this is 
this is quite a thing because we employ like all different kinds from the accounting to to uh, sound design uh, to uh, visual effects guys to marketing to even i don't know uh, we even have drivers um, uh, and people who pick up stuff um, like logistics because there are so many things that need to be um, done on, on a daily basis if you work uh, operate in a company like this size. Okay, definitely very interesting. So, I mean, what interests me about that is last week I had a guest on the podcast that worked for Allied Global Marketing. And, you know, they did campaigns for video game companies, especially when they're, you know, collaborating with a non-video game company on some sort of campaign, for example. You know, how you've had the, you know, I don't know if you've got in Germany or you heard of it, but in the UK there's been a lot of LucasAid and Xbox, you know, collaborations. wasn't done by Alloyd, but done by someone else. But, you know, that's the sort of things that Alloyd does. And I see a lot of companies using third-party agencies Obviously, marketing is one, but you can outsource it for, you know, other work as well, VFX, maybe even some, you know, design and that sort of stuff. So, like, what is the strong reasoning for Crytek keeping it in-house versus outsourcing it? And has Crytek ever outsourced it, and did they decide to just bring it back in-house? Yes, of course. We also do um, We do also um, outhousing stuff. Um like contractors work, especially when we're talking about the games. Uh, let's just um, figuring out, or let's just imagine you have um, a lot of scenes that need to be motion captured. So a lot of motion captured is also done in-house. We have different kind of um, partners we're working with, like uh, hardware and technical partners um, to to have the, the yeah like very accurate capturing methods and and suits and stuff. Uh, but uh, if we are in a, in a bigger production and we need to record a lot of stuff, different kind of actions, we also go to uh, outsourcing partners to motion capturing studios, um, um, for example, to to do all the capturing work. But also sometimes we um, we also had productions in the past where we did uh, intros intro scenes in a very artistic way, um, which we um, hired companies to do so because they had the best expertise and, and an artistic style we loved to have on uh, specific um, games like um, Rice, Son of Rome. The whole intro sequ uh, sequence was made uh, by um, a Polish company who was renowned for their crafting impact in, in, uh, also in Hollywood productions. And we want to partner with them or work with them, uh, collaborate with them uh, to have this specific look in the intro sequence. And these things are uh, normally shared uh, with, with um, external partners. But um, most of the time we do not work like with agencies or anything that you were calling on because we have a common production outcome, um, like, um, like a steady production outcome, I'm sorry, uh, constantly producing um, and and so we figured out that this would be the best if we have the services in-house. So we also have media production service in-house. Um, so we can really react on a timely manner and also play a little bit around, be creative in a different level. But if we're looking for specific things that we cannot uh, do by ourselves or we know that we are going to need an uh, external expertise, then, um, of course, we're always looking for external partners. 
Okay, so, so so it's not a matter of never. It's just a matter of doing it in house, and if it's really beneficial, then doing it. You know, doing some sort of collaboration or outsourcing it. Oh, of course. Yeah, because that's one thing I have seen a lot in recent years because it's everyone's doing it. It's become the in it's become the in thing to just outsource now. And in some areas, I think it works really well. But then there's some there's other areas that it just doesn't work well, and you're just outsourcing for the sake of outsourcing. Maybe because it's cheaper because you're outsourcing to a country like India, for example, or maybe just because everyone else is doing it. You don't want to, you know, put a bit of extra effort in and do it in house. You just, you know, outsource it instead. So, and obviously, Crytek is an is an older company as well. So obviously, they'll have procedures and systems in place versus a company that might only be five years old where to you know kind of you know you know get to the same level or to the same speed as something like crytek or one of the other triple a studios they even need a lot of money and even then they're the time aspect or they can you know just start outsourcing it and then i usually see they start bringing stuff in-house again once they, you know, get a bit of money, they get a bit of success, they learn how, you know, these things work. So, yeah, I think that's definitely a, you know, a decent way of, you know, going about it. You mentioned, you know, Rise, Son of Rome. A lot of people have fond memories of that game. And there seems to be a lot of fans that want another one. Can we expect a new one anytime soon? Is Crytek working on one? Um... I mean, it was a great game for sure, and it's still uh, holding up to its standards because it was visually, it was outstanding for for what um, the first or, or initial Xbox had to offer on hardware side. Mm-hmm. We really made the best out of it, and also the gameplay was it was fun to play, and we had a big and it was different. Uh, I remember exactly. Yeah, I mean, I remember because it was kind of you know, you know, with the quick time events, kind of God of Warry and a bit, you know, it was less open compared to something like Assassin's Creed. But mm-hmm. that was a nice change of pace to have something less open but more cinematic, and then the graphics looking amazing as well. Because when that exactly. came out, I remember playing that at uni on my Xbox One when i first got the xbox one and you know that even to to this day rise on a rome still looks like a very you know good game you know graphically speaking but that's just crytek all over their games are always you know f- you know fidelity wise always the best uh, you know far cry you know as you said the original you know crisis uh, obviously you know the meme can it run crisis <laughs> and obviously you know rise son of rome as well and and you know so the more recent stuff as well yeah um i mean that's great to hear because that's what the community love about the games made from crytek um and we also set standards or uh, defined standards back in the days as well and we try to keep up with that kind of heritage, of course, uh, even within our new games. So what I can um, say about the future of some of our games, we um, announced that we are working on um, C4, 
Um, so which I'm so excited is- for. When I saw that little teaser, and <laughs> I, when I saw it, I saw an article because I have a new, I use a newsfeed client called Feedly. And when I saw it, there was a video attached to it, and I clicked it, I watched it, and I kind of thought it's it's just fan made or something, you know, it's not real because you get a lot of fan made stuff. Then I looked at exactly. it; it was from the official Crytek YouTube channel. I was like, "No, the, is this real?" Then I googled it. I was like, "No, it's actually happening." I was. I remember texting my cousin because <laughs> um, you know I loved playing that game when I was a kid. Uh, you know when that came out, you know back in '06, and when they were showing off videos. I mean, '07 it came out, but they were showing off videos in '06, and I think there were some YouTube videos in '05 mm-hmm. as well in in the jungle when the interface was a little different. And I remember my cousin loving it as well. And I remember just messaging. I was like, "They announced a new." you know, crisis for, you know, it's happening. It's to me, it's on the level of half-life. It's, it's that thing that I think will never happen, but you know, it gets <laughs> announced. Still waiting for half-life though. Um, I mean, um, maybe it's not the best thing to say, but I'm not a gamer per se. Uh, um, I, I, I have to voice um, teenager almost grown up or grown up like 15 and 20 and they love gaming they really love gaming especially when it comes to competitive gaming and uh, first person shooters but also puzzles and stuff like that i'm more like a convenient gamer i like mobile games um, from time to time uh, logic and puzzle games but i'm not into i cannot even play and maybe it's a shame. I cannot even play Hunt Showdown because I'm so terrible at it. <laughs> uh, I'm so terrible. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm in my end 40s now. And so my reaction time is really not getting better over the years. Um, and there are so many different kind of actions that you can perform here. And, and um, my reaction time is way too low. So, um, and this also... Uh, fits pretty much to all the games on the market so i cannot re- to, uh, really reference any other games <laughs> because i'm not playing those games no playing games uh, fair enough mm-hmm. but like that's you know a good segue because you work you're working at crytech a you know a triple a studio the creators of the original far cry and more importantly, crisis like what crisis is to the gaming industry and the gaming community and to the PC gaming community because you know it's always that thing. Even though I know you've got crisis on, uh, including the first one on consoles now, but it's always that thing. You know, crisis on PC, crisis on PC, yeah. and you know, especially when you gain that really high frame rate, you're trying to check every single box in the settings as well. Uh, you know, obviously, there's you know, it's it's the you know game in terms of you know graphics it's it, and also the gameplay as well was fantastic but you know you work in the game industry triple a studio but you didn't come from gaming you're not a huge gamer yourself how did that all come about yeah i mean it's 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 been quite a journey to get there um so originally I started somehow in the filming industry, especially in the commercial um, filming industry, when I was quite young, starting as a production hand uh, runner, that, that's what we call them here over in Germany, like uh, stagehand or um, fixer. 
So, um, and then I worked like all different kind of departments within this commercial filming industries. Uh, but I learned pretty, pretty fast that producing is, uh, was my thing. Um, so I started to work as a junior producer, um, producer got hired for different com companies and worked along, um, the success chain, so to say, uh, quite a bit. Uh, but I figured out that. The, the playing production was not enough. I also was into these. I'm not. I do not call myself a creative, but I was. I loved to work with the creative teams. So I I became something that is so called like crea um, creative producer. So I was working on concepts and 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 then was producing all these ideas as well, pitching a lot to different kind of clients, and and um, then. In 2000, I worked for the World Expo in Hanover for some clients, and I had my first augmented reality project, which was called uh, Tele Immersion back in the day. Um, so no one knew about the uh, expression augmented reality. And there I learned that I have a huge fascination for um, innovation, technology, and um, gadgets. And from there on, I tried to get more into this kind of uh, working field. Then I did, um, yeah, like I said, commercial film for quite some time, switched over to uh, short movies, and from there to post-production, was working for different post-production partners, and from post-production, I switched over to visual effects. Um, in between, I quitted to work on all that, found the company that was um, specialized in uh, insect breeding on a large scale for industry, uh, industry scale for uh, as a substitute for fish meal and soy. Uh, sold the company a year later and started again in the visual effects industry. Was running a visual effects company um, called Pixomundo in Frankfurt as a managing producer and CEO for four years before um, switching over to Crytek. But what I did, especially over there and in the years before, I was so much into um, interactive technology already, um, trying to develop a um, new kind of technology uh, for, for especially uh, the, the pre-production and uh, the post-production chain to uh, make things easier and, uh, and more sophisticated. Um, especially not for for the artists, but also for actors, like using um, early technologies when even before the uh, HoloLens, the first HoloLens was announced, that there were other products like this on the market. I used them like experimentally, with, did some prototyping with a few um, people back in the days where we used this kind of technology to uh, work on shows like Game of Thrones and um, brought up the dragons on a, on a mixed reality headset to um, make them available in real life space, uh, in three dimensional space in your real environment. So you can get a better understanding of the pr proportions of the size and the masses of these creatures we were generating for, these, for the show. So the animators could uh, gain a better understanding of how they sh should behave in real life because they always had to see them on screen. And of course they could zoom in, but they could never experience the whole life size and uh, just imagine if you're working on a creature that is as big as a jumbo jet uh, you need to get a better understanding if you want to make it as, uh, as life like as possible and uh, so we started to uh, prototype and develop a lot of these so-called virtual production technologies back in the days 
without having a proper use case or showcase. So this was like all experimental. Then I started with industry partners of different uh, areas uh, to work on uh, interactive um, projects. Uh, so we did a quite, a quite a bunch of projects. They um, Some of them are still running, like in, in uh, New York, yeah, it's called Encounters Odysseys for National Geographics. It's a whole in, uh, interactive show um, where you can interact with uh, different kind of characters uh, or creatures that are the main characters of the whole show. You're learning a lot of things, but also for clients like IBM, where we had interactive press uh, showrooms to, to um, tell sales stories to the clients um, with um, that, that have different kind of features um, where, you, where we um, use objects and object detection and cameras, um, time of flight cameras, but also color sensors to identify these objects and have interactive um, storytelling events um, for these meetings and, and, and clients' um, sales events that were happening. And um, so my basic interest was always to com combine these different kind of uh, technologies out there in the market because one of my biggest passions is research, researching in all different kind of um, innovation and technology-driven uh, markets and try just to, yeah, I, I see, I see the, the techno uh, technology world or the world in general more like a big warehouse where you can find on shelf A, you will find this. On shelf B, you will find that. And each of these products have maybe a purpose and they were developed for a specific purpose. But if you rethink the purpose and if you just combine these two elements or maybe a third one, a fourth, fourth one and combine it in a completely different way to um, fix a problem that no one has ever thought about, you can create something that is completely new. And this is what I like about it. Okay. So, I mean, that's definitely, you know, very interesting and i remember you know before you were saying that the, the sort of games that you like to play are mobile games crytek i remember a few years ago i think it's been about 10 years now about 10 11 years they did a push into mobile with fibble flick and roll on ios i remember playing that and uh, like is there any plans of Crytek getting back into mobile? Why did they stop with just that game? And that seems a bit of a different kind of game compared to, you know, Far Cry, Hunt Showdown, you know, Crisis, you know, their typical, you know, bread and butter. Mm. So, I mean, yes, we had some attempts um, to work in the, in the mobile space as well and developed a pretty nice... Um, branch of CryEngine that in, used all the mighty power of CryEngine back in the days, um, especially the physics engine, which is which which was and still is pretty advanced. Um, and it was a very nice game, and we had studios that were specialized in that. Um, but we figured out that. What CryEngine was standing for, especially the visual fidelity you already um, mentioned by yourself, which CryEngine and Crytek is most famous for, could not be achieved uh, in, in the way that the creative leads of Crytek was looking for, were looking for back in the days. And they said, so, okay, CryEngine is a high-performance engine, and if we have a certain kind of standard, that we want to achieve with all our games. And if this cannot be done, then we need to pass on till 
that kind of technology actually exists and we can run um, and develop with our quality standards in mind. But things, of course, have changed. And, um, and we also showed some attempts that CryEngine can nowadays run pretty well on mobile devices. We did showcases with Google. And also, um, if you scan the internet, YouTube and co, you will find demo, uh, de uh, demos where we're showcasing how well different kind of technology or different kind of showcases that we produce can also run on a mobile chipset, not just on a, on a um, Quest uh, by, by Meta or something, but also on a real mobile device like a mobile phone, uh, even, by, uh, even with um, software-based ray tracing. And um, yeah, these things are quite interesting for us as well. And for sure, um, there will develop, there, there is going to happen development in this kind of technology in the, not to name it, but in the future, so to say. <laughs> I, I cannot tell too much, but uh, let's say um, there's, there's a long, uh, we have a long road to go but we're doing our homework constantly and we have nice ideas and a pretty nice roadmap as well for our technology, which uh, we share with the public as well. And we have um, um, developer podcasts also ongoing, produced in-house on a regular basis where you can learn a lot about where CryEngine and Cry specifically is heading to into the future. Okay, you know, good to hear. You know, I look forward to the announcements. I feel like they'll probably have some tie in, just personally, with obviously, you know, Crisis. Another thing that Crytek a few years ago, I think about a decade ago, you know, did a big push. I remember, you know, you know, the, the then CEO, Sivat Yearly, making the announcement of all Crisis, you know, all Crytek games are going to be free to play going forward. That was a big push. And that was where the industry, especially because of mobile, was going. Um, but then Crytek went back to selling new games for a fixed price. You know what happened to that? You know push because obviously they released Warface, uh, and but that was really it. Then after that, it went back to selling new games. I mean, there's not so much I can say about the events that happened in the past um, and the decision were made, um, but. Yes, I know that uh, we had this kind of plans in the, in, in the past and we were also doing use cases um, like Warface, you mentioned it already, um, to figure out how the community would actually work with a game um, as a service like this. Um, we're now having a game as a service, which is Hunt Showdown, which is comes with a price tag, as you say, said, but... Um, for sure, we still have this like um, business model in, in, in mind that a free-to-play um, might be um, a good way to go for certain kind of IPs. Uh, at the moment, we, we stick to our, our common strategy, selling our games, uh, having early access and stuff like this. What will happen in the future? Just be curious and you will figure out. Okay, that's interesting to hear. So... Talking about, you know, all of this, one of the things I want to hear about is, like, what are the main things that Crytek looks for when recruiting? Because, obviously, a big company like this, they make all these games, make this, you know, amazing engine, all these products. They obviously have a great, you know, team. 
what can a person do to stand out to get hired by Crytek? You know, what what does Crytek look for? That really depends on what department. But in general, I can say, we yes, we do have very high standards um, to our staff. Um, so let's say if you would like to work within the game production, um, especially in the game production teams, um, as any kind of artist, either it's a technical uh, artist or um, pipeline artist or whatever, uh, you need to have like very good um, programming skills. You need uh, to, so this is something we're lagging most of the time. We have pretty nice candidates coming from all over, having uh, a vast experience with certain kind of real-time engines. Um, I mean, you know, our main competitors and the big market players were still number three in the market, but um, these two others, they are like very, very big. And mm. especially if you have people working on, let's say, one of these products, uh, most of the time, they're lagging a lot of C++. Um, yes, there's definitely a, a big push yeah. away from C++, either with blueprints for on, you know, Unreal or more drag-and-drop-based stuff or some other custom exactly. scripting language. And uh, so if you, if you, let's say, if you used to work a lot with blueprints or plugins and... and um, um, templates as well as you can do within other engines. Um, it's it's very handy. It's it's perfect, and your uh, when you create something, it will look very nice and will work and function pretty well um, right from the beginning, more or less. But over time, uh, it's like all this no code stuff, which I'm a big fan from. Really depends on what, but. <laughs> Where's the big differentiator between game A and game B if they all look the same, if they all have the same um, game logic? If they, yeah, because yeah. things are getting reused all the time. If you're using the same templates, then it might have the same uh, like assets or uh, an environment things. That similar lighting, similar. I know what you mean. Yeah, I'll, play game, exactly. I'll play a game. Exactly. All the time. And I'll just know what engine it's made in. Like I'll play exactly. and I'll be like, this just feels like an Unreal game. Like, and most of the time I'm right. Or even if it's not Unreal, even if it's different, I'm like, this kind of feels like this other game that I've played. And and then I'll check the engines the same. Don't get me wrong. When a big studio really does a lot of customization, you know, when they have like more of a custom version of that engine, you know, they do get their own, you know, feel to it. Exactly. But again, that's not going to be most studios. They're not going to do that level of customization. They're not going to have the skill set or the time or the money. That's going to be the artist studio that will get Unreal. And, it's, you know, they'll, you know you hear about it. In, instead of Unreal Engine 2, they had like Unreal Engine 2.5. And they had their own version of it or, or like an in-between version between Unreal Engine 4 and 5, for example, with all these plugins. But, yeah, you're right. They do have a certain feel to them that... <sighs> It makes it feel off the shelf for a lot of titles. Yeah, but I can tell you that, especially when it comes to um, larger studios and our industry partners, they really like the capabilities that Crynion brings uh, when it comes to C++ development. Because even if you have a team that is not related to um, uh, games development, but they are like computer engineers and they uh, used to work with C++ a lot, um, they can 
easily adopt to um, our engine and program stuff that they are looking for and need, needing for their projects. So this is what I get quite often as a feedback, what the people really do like about our engine. So, um, and so this is one of the basic skills that we are looking for when we, when it comes to new hires. But of course, there's also, um, what we also do, we're building teams, teams uh, in regards of skill set, but also teams in regards of um, how people will work together, how they will fit into um, a given construct somehow. And you can never tell um, like 100%, but our HR team is so close, works so closely together with the artists. We always try to, to keep uh, a constant communication. We have surveys, we have uh, weekly events, um, we have different kind of groups, even um, most of the people are working remotely nowadays. We have these events also online. So, um, so they get a really good sense of our staff and try to make sure that these people can build a good, good team. So, I mean, sounds easy and it sounds, it's not very well explained. I, I'm, I'm certain about that, but um, it works somehow. Okay, that's good. So, you know, talking about these engines, what are the three main reasons in your eyes somebody should use CryEngine over Unreal or Unity? Um, reason number one, it is still um, visual fidelity if you know what you're doing. Um, which, so both the visual, uh, visual fidelity and the physics in CryEngine is still like top notch. So, but you have to work with the engine. Um, of course, you will get very nice results out of the box, but if you know how to use the engine, you can get stunning results. Uh, on the other hand, as I said, it's, uh, it's customizable. Now, if you work in, uh, not just as an indie uh, in smaller projects, you can do a whole project all by yourself. You have a very steep learning curve, but then um, you have a if you have a solid foundation, you can build beautiful games or applications, not just relate to games. Um, and then on the, on the third hand, I mean, um, let's say you want to create something that is that um, is not like everything else, like I referred to earlier, like it's not the, the seventh clone of something else that you already seen. It doesn't, it, it's not a lookalike because you already know the color scheme. Um, you do not already know all the assets. You do not know all, already all the, the game logic and everything mm -hmm. uh, because it's not the 7,000 blueprint and, and, um, and, and whatsoever. So you can create more unique game and game, game plays. So these, in my opinion, these are the main reasons. Okay. So like one of the, you know, things that I noticed when playing some Crytek games, you've got Crisis, uh, you know, a big one. Rise on a Rome, and you know the VR stuff. Obviously, they had the Robinson VR, and then you know the Climb One and Two. They feel different to each other. Like if if so many times I'll play the Climb, and outside of obviously the Crytek logo at the start, I forget it's a Crytek game, and you know it feels like it's a different engine almost. So like, how does Crytek achieve that? So you know, Crisis. Right, son of Rome, and you know, and the VR efforts. How do they feel so different? 
So referring to our VR work, and uh, you, you need to take into account, especially Robinson the Journey, um, and more, even more than Robinson the Journey, Dinosaur Island, which was a VR showcase to, uh, to demonstrate the uh, VR capabilities of Kleinzen, uh, which were more or less like experimental back in the days. Uh, um, and if you just have a look at Robinson, the, um, you will still you will still f see that look and feel from Crisis somehow. It's very stunning. Um, all the um, vegetarian or the um, not the vegetarian <laughs> the uh, um, the plant system, the environment, everything is beautiful and stunning. And uh, we had to 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 work a lot and hard to make it possible to run this on the um, HMDs back in the days and the computers, uh, especially with the given graphics. Uh, but we want to showcase that it's doable and possible because most of the people were complaining that VR is, is not ready yet. I mean, some people still um, say the same nowadays that VR is not ready yet. I don't know when it will ever be ready for those kind of people. But yeah, because the, the thing <laughs> is... Uh, if you look at mobile, yes, it's a lot better than it was 10 years ago, but mobile games obviously aren't as good as a PlayStation 5 game, definitely not as good as a PC game, because the thing is, those other higher-end platforms, they're, they are, you know, they're constantly advancing. It's not like they've stopped, and you just need to catch up to them. You're never going to catch up to them. So, yeah, you're right. When is enough for the VR stuff? For me, personally, I think the graphics for the really good games are very good. I, yeah, I want to see better graphics in VR. You know, fantastic. But I think they are very good to get a very nice experience. What I want to see now is other improvements for the ex exactly. gaming experience. I want to see, you know, a, you know, the headset. I just don't find it that comfortable. I've tried many VR headsets, and none of them I feel like I could leave on for hours. And do a gaming session the way you know, uh, you know, especially when I was a kid, where I would play, you know, hours on, you know, at a time and not get up. I can't do that in VR. Like, I want a better headset like that. I want other technologies. Like, there's so many other ways to make VR better without making the graphics better. Yeah, but this these developments are happening, and they are. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, just if you just take into account what happened within the last five years or the last 10 years, then it's almost insane what happened. And um, but referring back to our work and to the games and why um, Climb looks different than the other um, Crytek games. Um, but that's exactly what we want. We want to create something that is unique because it was released for the first time on, on, on this platform because um, yeah, Robinson was a launch title for the PlayStation, PlayStation VR. So it was played with this um, con a very special set of controllers and, and, uh, and it was more like a visual showcase. Uh, it was also some kind of puzzle game where you, could walk around, but it was not a um, um, room scale experience. It was more sta stationary. And then you had to resolve this kind of task. Uh, and in between, it was like you're living in a movie, uh, like in um, Jurassic Park or something. You had this incredible dinosaurs and everything, and it was stunning, but not this much like uh, interaction action. Um, but within, uh, 
um, Robins uh, would then decline, we made much more into brought much more interaction uh, interaction into it, and a different kind of gameplay because. Uh, when the climb originally was designed and uh, developed, uh, it was supposed to be played with the controller in hand. So like the Xbox controller um, and even the first headsets by Oculus back in the days where um, when they were sent out with the Xbox controller because they did not have these uh, specific controllers back in the days. And then um, right before we were ready to release the game, um, Oculus came up with these prototypes for these new kind of controllers and we had to learn how they actually work, how they function within the um, um, 3D space um, as in spatial computing and what you can do with them and, and how this can improve the gameplay so much. And then we figured out that yes, it's actually a completely different thing if you have to, uh, if you use these kind of controllers and it, it feels more like climbing than it ever did before and and um but we wanted to make it still look beautiful but it was a different kind of category of a game that we never developed so far so we wanted to give it a very unique look as well but still make it look beautiful and 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 i would say um that we achieved this because it was a and still is a very successful game both the Climb 1 and Climb 2, on uh, even on the mobile platform nowadays, like the the Quest, not just on the um, PC-based HMDs. I think especially on the Quest. I mean, I don't have the numbers. I mean, maybe you'll be able to shed light on it, but I feel like it's probably done better in terms of sales and financially-wise on the Quest headsets than on, you know, PC, because it's, it's, it's one of the games that when I have someone you, you know round or i go to the house i take the headset and they experience vr for the first time outside of like the oculus quest you know demos that they have you know where you're you know playing with some toy guns and you're in like that little you know van thing but mm-hmm. apart, apart from that the first thing i tell them to have a go at is the climb especially the climb too with you know all the editions that they have because it's it's a bit easier for beginners now the climb two i felt the climb one was a bit harder but the climb two it has a you know a lot of different difficulty settings a lot of different settings so it's a lot easier you know for a newbie but yeah that's the game i always tell people to have a go at and to see their reactions when they look down and they (laughs) you know they pretend climbing but they're moving their arms it's it's definitely one of my go-to games, that and Beat Saber. So those are the two go-to games when I'm, you know, showing off VR to people. So yeah, I, I feel like especially on the Quest headsets, you know, it's it's one of those, you know, fantastic titles that I think Crytek did has done, you know, really well considering you know they came from that FPS background. And, you know, mm. they did the VR, they did the climbing, you know, with the climb, you know, one and two. Initially, I did play it on PC with the Oculus Rift. But, you know, the thing with the Quest, it's just so easy to play that anywhere you are. It's hard to beat that experience. Having played on like a Valve Index and other more expensive premium headsets, I still prefer the Quest. I can play in any room. I can take you with me. I usually have 
the, the, really no setup, you know, except for drawing a boundary, and it's not going to be long till that gets scanned anyway. I know PSVR does like a kind of a scanning thing now. Apple's headset's going to do some sort of scanning, but it won't be long till the VR, I mean, the Quest headsets just scan your room, maybe with the cameras, maybe some sonar echolocation, and you can put it anywhere. Whereas with PC, PC VR, you plug it in cables, sometimes this driver's out today, sometimes this doesn't work, and I'm like, oh, you know, there's always, you know, this picture <laughs> or another, plus because of the, you know, how big the games are, if you don't have like an SSD, it makes it more awkward because the loading times can be ridiculous, you know, all that sort of stuff. Whereas with the Quest, it just works. So, yeah, I think Crytek did really well with the climb. It's one of my favorite VR games. And hopefully Crytek does do more VR projects in the future. One, more, you know, the bread and butter, you know, the crisis, maybe a crisis VR and you know some sort of fps hunt showdown something like that but then also these alternatives as well well you know one thing i want to you know ask you i don't know if you've noticed this because you said you're not the biggest gamer i don't know if it's been talked about in crytek is crytek did an amazing climbing experience with the climb and the climb 2 what i've noticed in a lot of vr games they seem to constantly use the climbing mechanic because uh, you know you had the new horizon you know come out the vr1 with psvr2 and so much of it was just climbing and all the time climbing 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 and i'm thinking yes okay it's nice to have a bit of this in there because it w- works well but i feel like i wasn't playing horizon with climbing i felt like i was playing the climb with a bit of horizon and i felt that again uh, uh, i feel like Crytek has done such a good job with it that everyone is just putting it in their games now because it's an easy sell with VR. Do you know how when the Wii came out, it was an easy sell just to swing the controller, just to, you know, hit something like a tennis racket. So, like, all the games kind of started doing it. Yeah, I mean, um, first of all, thank you for the compliment because obviously we did something right with the client. Oh, yes. Uh, we, we developed a game mechanics that even if you're just using your hands and you're playing a climbing game where your whole body is involved in, and when you climb naturally, it felt pretty well and, and natural. And you do not miss your feet while climbing. And um, this mechanics was adopted by many others. And as the Asians uh, uh, mostly say, the, the biggest form of compliment if, if, if people copies your work. Uh, uh, so we did something right here. And um, yeah, we're looking into, of course, new kind of ideas, and especially also in VR and everything. Um, and it's getting there as well um, in, in regards of market, uh, market size, because when we started, it was a very small segment. Uh, we, we invested heavily in VR. That we also named our engine. Uh, we skipped the whole version number to, to, to come to crying to V or five, and the V was was standing for VR. So, um, but we also had to learn that uh, besides our ambition in this kind of market, the market still was very small. And, uh, but nowadays with, with all these standalone devices, which I'm also a big fan of, um, I, when I'm looking around in my apartment at the moment, I see at least four different kind of VR devices 
over here. And uh, the, the, the most thing used more or less on a daily basis is the um, <laughs> standalone device by Meta, the Meta Quest, uh, because it's such a convenient thing. Um, as you just you, you laid out all the uh, the positive sides of it, and it's just a fun thing to 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 do. And and but what I like the most about it that it gives you so many different kind of opportunities beyond visual fidelity because um, it's the same like in the visual effects you can make a beautiful looking movie uh, with all these wonderful effects, but you need to have a story. You need to have something that com that is compelling that really get in under the skin of the people. And somehow we also managed to do this within our games, um, either if they are like traditional PC games, shooters, FPS, or even VR um, uh, sports games. So. Oh yeah, like I, I think what Crytek has done with VR is fantastic, and you know the uh, plus the opportunities that VR brings is it's it's one of those things that. Before VR started becoming very popular, game the gaming industry was kind of just doing the same thing every year, just a bit better. You know, always on the TV or maybe you know on a on, on a portable device, but you know, just still effectively, you know, a you know a Switch is just a small TV, or the you know the Steam Deck is just a small TV, or the Game Boy, you know, what whatever portable console you want to talk about, it is it is just a small TV with a small console all strapped together. It was the same thing, and you had a controller, you interacted with it. Yes, graphics got better. Yes, the you know the motion capture got better. The you know the size of the games got bigger, and you know you had a few different genres come out. But essentially, the gaming hadn't changed much since the 90s, really. Because, you know, you went from the, what, the cabinets, the arcade cabinets in the 80s, then to, then into the house in the 90s, then didn't really change much. Then with VR, it was a totally, and is a totally different experience. It's one of the things that until you experience it, you don't realize how different it is. It is the next level and i don't think it's going to fully replace it uh just the way motion controls didn't fully replace you know just regular you know buttons on a controller and just the way a touch screen hasn't replaced every single physical button on every device but it's gonna you know provide a lot more opportunities for gameplay experiences that we didn't have before but talking about vr projects what other projects does Crytek have in the pipeline? Is there a Crisis VR? I want to see a Crisis VR. Hmm. This request we receive quite often. Um, and especially with and... Crisis 4 now. Because before, <laughs> before the announcement, for the average person outside of Crytek, it was more of a pipe dream. It was more like, you know, we would love it, but, you know, we kind of know it's not going to happen because you're not doing another Crisis. But now that you've announced another Crisis and you've done VR and you've done VR very well, like I would say outside of like Beat Saber, it, not just for me, it's, it must be one of the go-to games for a lot of people. So like, there must be an internal, you know, push to from some people to say VR is picking off. We've also done it well. Let's bring it to crisis. But if you just think in plain numbers, um, the the biggest gaming market is nowadays is still PC and consoles. Yes, and so you will reach far more people if you're still producing games 
especially um, a very specific segment of games in uh, for these platforms. And uh, yes, we we um, as I said, I mean, even on uh, Climb Two, we constantly constantly delivering updates uh, in in missions and everything. Um, but I cannot speak so much of what we are planning to do, uh, which is not officially announced yet. You, you need to understand. Um, but you can be sure that we are thinking in a lot of different kind of uh, directions, um, especially because in the uh, realm of VR, there are so many things that are still doable, uh, which could bring a lot of fun, not just for the home entertainment. So oh, yeah. maybe it sounds a little bit vague, but that's all I can say. So, um, and yes, we receive, as I said, this request quite often because people would love to play it in VR and they sometimes do it with workarounds. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I would love to play by, my, uh, by myself in VR as well. But um, this is not happening in the very next future. But um, yeah, just keep an open eye and open mind and, and, and uh, keep Crytek on your, um, on your um, 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 meta scroller and whatever you, you, uh, you do to um, keep yourself update and uh, be curious what is going to happen. I mean, I'm definitely you know paying attention to Crytek just for Crisis Four. I, I mean, even if they don't announce any other VR, any other you know CryEngine little you know product or whatever, I, I just want that next you know Crisis. So you know, talking about Crisis, it was originally only on PC, and it was designed with that in mind. It was a technical marvel at the time. I remember seeing the demos for it that they announced, you know, the tech demos and the demos, and then when the demo came out, I remember that the weekend the demo came out, I was in London. I was at my uncle's house. He had a, you know, a beastie computer, so he downloaded it, and his computer could only play it at medium or something like that. <laughs> <the> medium. <laughs> the, you know the demo itself but i remember playing it and i remember just thinking oh my god like it, it was me and my you know i say uncle he, he he's you know my uncle but he's like similar age he's not much older than me so me and a couple of them we were playing it we was talking about it and you know we, we were just mesmerized by one obviously the graphical fidelity two the you know the bit of storyline you know that we you know saw and some of the character you know interactions but again it was it it was so good on pc then you had crisis 2 and 3 and they launched on pc but on consoles as well and as a result it had the you know you know the consoles in mind because it was designed for that from the start along with pc so there were cutbacks and i know that angered a lot of fans because it was less open crisis 3 became a bit more open but especially crisis 2 is very boxed in and it didn't feel like crisis 1 and a lot of people didn't like that what's crytek doing to avoid this in future titles especially crisis 4 because like I'm sure they don't want that same situation where, you know, they came off Crisis 1, then they did what they did with on the consoles, but it angered a lot of fans. I mean, what we're doing, we're doing a lot of research and um, analytics as well. We're trying to listen to the community. Um, we, I, I would say we know our 
fan and base and community pretty well. Um, and of course, we try to somehow satisfy our base community, but we are not just trying to develop something uh, which is expected by us from everyone. So this would just fulfill what everyone is, uh, is, is seeking anyway. Um, of course, we're trying to take this into account, but to come up with something that brings the original idea um, and, and what made the game so outstanding into the Crisis franchise, especially while working on Crisis 4. So this is what I can tell. And yes, it will be a multi-platformer as well. But so we, we refactored the engine to make sure that it will get the best out of it for each specific platform. So um, you will have a full um, experience on PC as well as on the other platforms. Um, and you can be certain that it will be stunning in so many different ways, but not just on the visual level, but also on gameplay. And the story is also, as far as I have an uh, insight onto it, it will also be very intriguing. So, well, I mean, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> so, talking about the storyline, is it set after number three? You know, because obviously it seemed like it was fully closed, done. Are the Seth in the game? Is is Nomad returning? Because, you know, people want to know about Nomad as well. Like, like, what can you say? I don't know. I have no idea. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I, I know you can't talk about it too much, but uh, I mean, how far away are we from getting our hands on it? Um, when we first announced this trailer, uh, it was more to um, it was more like a clue, not a. It was a teaser um, for um, with the main purpose was to recruit people because you need to have great people to work on great games. And of course, we already have a great team. We have more than just one game team in-house and also the engine team um, and, and everything. But if you want to produce a triple A title like Crisis 4, you need to have a big team uh, with professionals and specialists. So we were, um, we still are recruiting and hiring and we're in the middle of the prototyping and everything. So, um, it will take time as every good triple A um, title nowadays. So between three and five years, which is the most common time for such a title, even some, some, some of the games out there took longer. But we want to make certain that we're not going to release too early, which is something that we see far, quite often nowadays. Mm. Because there's such a, a big pressure to come up with something new uh, and a high expectation from the audience out there that you sometimes um, feel that you need to release even you're not ready yet. And then this can also cause a lot of issues. So which happened, especially the last three years with some major titles, like almost everyone on them had like their flaws when they were releasing first. And this is something um, we, we try to avoid, especially with such a uh, highly anticipated title like C4, uh, Crisis 4. Um, so therefore, about not, not or I cannot speak really about a release date, but I can uh, just 
I mean, for sure you can expect it um, within. <laughs> it's 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 hard to say. Uh, within a couple of years. Yeah, it... within a couple of years, for okay. sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're in 2023, 2023. Uh, I mean, I, I think I can deal with that because there's a bunch of other games that are being announced for this year. The, 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 the most strong titles for this year. And 2024, there'll be a few. So, okay, okay, that's not too, too bad. Uh, okay, how long has it been in development for? So you said when the announcement came out, there was a big push to you know try and recruit. But it must have been in development before then. Has it been in development since Number 3 came out? Or was there a break and it's only just started a couple of years ago? I mean, you have different phases of production. And uh, long before you start actually with pre I mean, every, you can call everything like pre-production, but concept work it was ongoing. Um, like quite some time and I cannot tell too much because I cannot spoil and I will not and um, but it was quite an interesting process with a lot of um, organic changes in between so we were white boxing um, testing ideas with uh, um, a small prototyping team of so say 30 to 50 people uh, to to really get to the core of um, what it could be like. So um, testing not just um, because storyline you can you can more or less easily um, get together, you can do uh, mood cuts, you can um, uh, create any kind of mood boards, you can visualize it, uh, get grasp, grasp the idea. But gameplay and mechanics and uh, special functionalities you need to create. So we were building, developing, coding, uh, experimenting quite a lot in parallel, both with the visual um, and storytelling concepts as well as with the te uh, technological concepts. And uh, this is a process which can take up easily up to two years. Yeah, I mean, obviously, with a big title like that one, the technical aspect to the, you know, obviously, it's a big franchise that a lot of people love. So I can imagine Crytek wants to do it right. But, you know, also bring something new to the table, not just have a new one for the sake of it. That's one thing I like about Crytek is that you get a lot of studios that are just release game after game, you know, in, in, in the same, you know, series, like, Every year, they'll release a new one, or every two years, you know, without fail. And then every time, you know, the game's buggy, it just feels the same. It, you know, it's derivative like this. Whereas with Crytek, no matter what you say about Crytek 1, 2, or 3, just looking at those games, they were, I say, robust games. Obviously, you needed a powerful PC to play, etc. Et, you know, etc. etc. But that's like that's something different from it launching, it being buggy, it not playing well, and you know, people just them developers rushing it, releasing day one updates, which has become a huge problem for the industry when you're getting big titles like Cyberpunk 2077, Star Wars Jedi mm. Survivor that are releasing, and you play them and you think, did no one test this? Like, the the level of problems that you're having, and, and it just makes you think that nobody tested it. It's like they, 
you know, coded it, and then they just released it without pressing the run button and debugging it. It feels like that for so many titles. And I'm so hoping that when Crytek releases Crisis 4, that it doesn't, you know, give that, you know, vibe and those problems. Because it is more of a new phenomenon. It wasn't really that much of a thing when Crisis 3 came out. And I hope when Crytek launches, they think, okay, the game is ready. Yes, there can be improvements. Yes, we can release updates. But the game overall is what we want it to be from the gameplay-wise, the story perspective, plus also it just running well. Because I would definitely rather Crytek wait an extra year, no matter how much I want a new Crisis, but it to be well-made and you know robust than just get released a year early or six months early. Then I can tell you we're definitely on the same page. Fantastic. So, you know, like, talk again, just want to, you know, wrap up with Crisis and then we'll talk about, you know, some other stuff about Crytek. Like, what is Crisis bringing to the table? Like, what can you say from a technical perspective that is really going to make people look at it and go, whoa, is it, is it ray tracing? Is it, you know, you know, what is it? Um... I cannot really tell anything about this. This is because we will have announcement and presentations and teaser upcoming, um, which will especially inform the target uh, audience or address it to the tar- target audience, which are like hardcore fans and and um, modders and and uh, developers uh, which fell in love with the franchise and, and then it will get broader in the communication and stuff uh, to also address it to a new kind of audience never played crisis maybe before um, but these are like official information uh, which would be way too early to communicate at this stage at the uh, and it's not on me to say so Okay, that's fair enough. So you said you 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 know you're not the biggest gamer, but what's your favorite Crytek game? Mm, huh. I have to be honest and need to say it's the client. The client, okay. Uh, so I play this on a weekly basis at least. Okay. So I'm I'm doing a lot of um, I'm. Even I'm not a gamer, <laughs> I'm, I'm relatively, relatively often in VR. Um, mostly I'm doing fitness and sports activities. And I recall the climb as a sports activity as well, because if you climb for like uh, half an hour, you, really, you can really tell the day, day after. You, and you can you feel it. Your, you, yeah, you, you do yeah, feel you can, it. You do feel it. If you, and, and then you can check your roots and it really depends on what level you already achieved. And, and 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 uh, so it's it's a fun game and it also it's a kind of exercise and really I don't know I'm exhausted mentally and uh, and physically somehow after a very intense um, half a half a minute gameplay. Oh so, yeah. And therefore, I need to say it is the climb. I love the atmosphere um, of hunt. A lot because it's it's scary it sets a beautiful mood 
with uh, the sound and the music and and it as it's not just a, a a simple shooter game where you're just running around hopping around jumping around and just kill um, because you can die a permadeath which i like as a concept a lot so you're really taking care of the character uh, and 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 then you can tell uh, it's a pvp pve game so also like this kind of gaming concept and um but i'm not my my aim is horrible horrible really it's horrible and i'm lost all my characters very very easy and very at the beginning almost always therefore i like the atmosphere of it i like the game itself i'm not a good gamer that is the only reason why i'm not playing um hunt and uh, crisis of course i played because it was crisis so i heard about it I was overwhelmed by the visual fidelity, and I saw the um, the uh, the um, um, cutdowns on YouTube made by fans and all the mods that they produced, and which I loved. Uh, but I um, I was interested on it from a different kind of perspective because when I saw um, I saw Crisis and I saw Rise, Son of Rome. Uh, and I was still working within the film industry, I totally understood back in the days that this kind of technology that they were producing with CryEngine would be ideal for the filming industry. And therefore, I have made personal experience when already in 2012, when I was still working uh, within the filming industry and I started at Pixamondo, where we did the first show and use cases and used CryEngine or Cinebox uh, especially to do first tests for pre-production like Previs. And, but also for animation tasks where we developed um, direct um, plugins for Maya into uh, CryEngine. So like LifeSync, like where you could um, animate in Maya and see it immediately in real time, everything that you animated in CryEngine, which was absolutely nuts back in the days. And, and, and therefore, I was a big fan of the technology. Okay. I mean, yeah, you know, Definitely, you know, crisis, you know, the Crytek technology and, you know, the VR side of it. And, yeah, I really, when he was talking about you do any other form of exercise, I remember I went through a phase playing the Climb 1 where before going to bed, I would play the Climb 1 and I bought wrist and ankle weights. So, like, it would add to the intensity, especially on the arms. And I remember playing it, and I would even, like, it was in the summer months, I would close the window, I would make sure I didn't have any shorts on, you know, like full length, you know, tracksuit bottom or something like that. And by the end of it, I was sweating so much, but I would just fall, to fall asleep like really quickly and i remember using that as a form of exercise and it was great i mean you don't need to go to that extreme but just playing it like you said for half an hour you know you definitely feel it and it's it's it is kind of a therapeutic experience as well the climb is the music the colors you know the vistas the visual nature of it it definitely feels like a calming game but whilst still being intense kind of like minecraft kind of has have those feelings when i play it that's what i also like about the climb a lot because um you cannot just play it and climb all the time but you can just enjoy the view when you're on top of the mountains and you um, we have like representations of actual places 
So I've never been to the Grand Canyon uh, in real life, but I've been there, you know. So I was sitting on top of these hills and looked into this beautiful landscape and, and the sunset and everything. And I experienced moments and realities I, I'd never experienced before. So this is what I like about the medium VR so much and uh, also augmented or, ex uh, or extended realities. Um, it, it, it enables you to dive into another reality uh, and, and combine the, the physical and the virtual world. This is what fascinates me ever since, fascinates me ever since. Oh, yeah. And what I like about the climb, too, because it is in a bit more relaxed because you have the different difficulty settings you have. You can play without having to do the chalking as well. Uh, you know, the chalking is a great thing, especially if you want, you know, an in-depth climbing gaming experience. But sometimes, you, you, you know, you want to climb, you want to get a bit of a workout. But like you say, you just want to enjoy the view and you don't want to have to be worried about, you know, you know, slipping, you know, falling off. Uh, you know, as long as, you, you know, you keep hold of it. So, you know, the Climb 2 was definitely a great, you know, addition to the Climb, you know, series. So, did you go to university? And if so, what did you study? And how did that help with the career that you've had? Mm -hmm. Good question. Uh, no, I did not. Um, I actually started my career as an um, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, but I just did the uh, education, never worked a single day in this kind of job. Uh, so it took me two years, and right after, I went, went straight on to the military. Uh, I had to do my um, duty for 12 months, and then I, st I was doing music in between. And we had also like a, a labor contract, and um, out of the sudden, out of the sudden, a friend of mine was working already within the filming industry, and he asked me out if I can uh, help out on a, a specific event uh, where it will uh, um, lack in personal. So um, it, I never intended to work in this kind of industry, so I stumbled into it, and I figured out that what I could help with was actually needed. So I could provide service, um, and I seemed to do uh, do it pretty well back in the days especially um, because I made quite a, a st stiff career in this uh, in this field uh, within a short amount of time within three years time I was like a senior producer already um, and from there as I already said I, I switched over I uh, um, I, I experimented within different departments then within different kind of um, um, yeah, like I, I switched from the commercial film production into the post-production, from post-production to visual effects into interactive uh, productions, into, and then I want to do more like in this kind of field work, and therefore Crytek was my best uh, choice because I always admired the technical work of Crytek and CryEngine specifically, and therefore I wanted to be part of that kind of development. Okay, uh, so, so you said you didn't, you know, go to university. Uh, what what advice would you give to someone looking to follow in your footsteps? And you know, what's been your biggest regret in your journey so far? 
the the situation nowadays is completely different than it was back in the days. Nowadays, you can study uh, easily um, game production, but also all the artistic side of it. Um, so if you're really interested in this kind of, I mean, I'm working with interns like I, all the time. We have a lot of people coming from universities, even um, the juniors, you know, we hire, we have direct contact to different kinds of universities uh, where we not just recruit, but also um, give workshops and stuff. And um, so we, we, we see a lot of talent out there. People are really, they're coming out of the hobby gamer segment and they want to reproduce what they love so much. They want to create what they love so much. And if you're passionate about what you do, um, you will figure out a way. So either if you study, which is more common nowadays, or if you do not study, but you're passionate about what you're doing, you can find your way into uh, such a, um, a high specific job uh, description dinghy or um, like like working in triple a studios nowadays because we also have people that did not study like me but um, they were just self-taught or or working on small projects and and then became specialists in what they're doing so it's all about passion it's all about uh consistency uh, consistency um that's the only advice i can give okay i mean that's, you know, it's good advice. It's advice that we hear a lot on the podcast, you know, like say, you know, be consistent, you know, put yourself out there and it's basic stuff, but it's, it's stuff that people, you know, don't value or they get wrong or, you know, they don't follow us, you know, that's definitely, you know, useful. And like you said, things have changed now. There are, you know, opportunities to do it via education now. Exactly. Uh, and, and there's other alternatives as well. But the biggest thing is you've got to do something. Like, it's not going to fall out of the sky and, you know, you're not going to get a job as a director in CryEngine without doing the work, you know, at Crytek, sorry, without doing the work prior to that like you have. But then it's just because you've been doing stuff and, you know, opportunities open up. Whereas I, uh, you know, come across a lot of people and they're just, you know, waiting for that perfect job. They're waiting for that perfect, you know, career, whatever it is. And it's like, do something and you might discover that you did not like, you know, what you want to do. And you might discover something else and a new opportunity will be, you know, will come up. So just keep your, you know, your eyes open. That's obviously yeah, you know, the best. I mean, life is something you create, right? Mm-hmm. For sure, opportunities it's, come in all over, and and uh, I believe in 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 opportunities, and I believe that life in general has always something good to offer. But you need to be able to really to to see it, to feel it, to be aware of it, and then you need to take action. Oh yeah, for sure. You like it's you know people talk about luck, and you know luck is a huge part of life. It's sure. a lot like I would say ninety percent of you know success is luck, but then the other ten percent is identifying when luck comes your way and to capitalize on that. Because being born is lucky, yet most people don't live you know a, you know a true life. You know, being born in the West, where you know in a country where it's not war torn is lucky yet people do not appreciate that you know being born 
and having access to clean water, some food, even if you're poor, like, you know, you still have more than what people in, you know, some Asian countries in Africa, or even in, you know, you know, poorer communities in your own country, you know, like, that's lucky, but people don't capitalize on that, being born when the internet is around, people don't make use of that, there's so many things that makes literally every, like, anyone that's listening to this podcast, they're lucky, like, the fact that they have a phone, or a, you know, a computer to, to listen to it on, they have time, you know, to listen to it on, they have an interest, like, that's, that's lucky in itself, but, you know, you've got to be willing to capitalize on it, and not just be passive, because if you're passive with life, you'll pass you by. Whereas if you're active in life, you'll actively be involved and enjoy it and, you know, build something. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So, you know, one thing I like to do to end the podcast is I have a a bunch of fun generic questions because, you know, I've got all of the, you know, Crytek and career-specific questions out of the way, but I always have some fun generic ones. And the first one is, if you start, if you ran a company, would you rather run a ten-person company or a one-thousand-person company, and why? I would start with a ten-person company and build it into a thousand-person company, <laughs> um, and I can tell you easily why. Because when you start with just a few people, you get to use to know everyone like quite well and you really start building a team which is essential if you want to create something if you're not just uh, replicate or um, clone something that where you have a blueprint and you don't know exactly what kind of step you need to do and and there's no creative flow or whatever you will call it uh, involved then you can do so but I like to be involved in something that has a creation aspect in it. And um, so starting with a small team means that you work with people. It's not just about specialists. It's not just about their capabilities. It's about person. It's about people. And and a project is always more than just the visual output that everyone can easily see or buy or whatever. It's You create something. And, but working or bringing something on a bigger level that you can later work with thousand people also needs to have some kind of foundation and i believe if you start small and with this on a very personal level try to build something that has not this much of a fluctuation where it's not driven by okay we need to grow as fast as possible and we it 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 became uh, it can become more personal um, because you choose your inner circle that then become the leadership, and and this spirit or or values whatever can be transported into the whole organization, uh, and this is groundwork. And this you never start groundwork on top of a thousand company that is already built and actively doing good. Oh yeah, you definitely have to you know scale up, you know for sure. You, and and you see companies fail all the time that will get a lot of money, you know, a lot of funding, and they'll scale up. You know, they'll start new projects, they'll you know ramp up hiring, and then they fail. Like I know people that have 
you know, got half a million, you know, a million, you know, in, you know, seed round, you know, angel investment. And then like they failed two, three years later because they didn't obviously, you know, look at the costs of things, you know, money was going out like crazy. And then like what they did bootstrapping it compared to what they did with the money, it's just like, it just went. And that's just, in general, like it, it, it's with life. If you're earning money, you're earning good. If you don't take care of it, you know it will go. And obviously, if you try and scale up too quickly, you'll have issues. And it's that process of scaling from one to ten to a hundred to five hundred to a thousand. You learn things that you can't learn or that you don't know if you instantly go there. It's like if you've never ran in your life and you try and run ten miles. You're gonna fail. It's not. It's not gonna, you know, work out for you. But if you run a hundred meters, then build up two hundred, five hundred, you know, one mile, five miles, ten miles, it's achievable. Uh, and that's the same with business, and it's the same with life as well. Ah, uh, yeah, I would agree. Uh, but also, I mean, it. The other, you could also do the ten miles from the beginning, and it would be achievable, but it would not be sustainable. Because yes, you did it, yeah, that's the other you thing. Did it once you're totally exhausted. Yeah, maybe you did yourself some harm. Yeah, um, you, you hate the process as well because exactly. it's so exhausting for you. Exactly, you don't want to do it again. No, whatever, whatsoever. So, and yeah, and if you want to um, compare it to, to, to something like this and be, um, yeah, then therefore I would always appreciate more the steady steadiness in growth uh, st having a steady process growing together building something from top up, uh, from the, from top to bottom or from bottom up to the top that's uh, uh, this way around would be better and um, yeah because i know how how much fun it can be to create something with a team and um, being or working with a bigger organization of course you always have your like team if it's the management or whatever but it, it, it i like the personal level of collaborating with people i like the very personal level and i like to be involved in many things at the same time at least i need to understand what's ongoing so um and if you just receive like high level executive information it's it's great though it can work out pretty well but i love it when i really have a better understanding of everything uh, oh yeah for you know for sure 100 percent. so would you rather have five million euros up front or half a million a year for the rest of your life and why i would go for half a million because yeah. um i don't believe in my investment skills that the 5 million would set me up for the rest of my life. And with half a million, I know already what, what kind of lifestyle um, and um, I could live. And this not just includes like leisure time, but also uh, business related and what I could achieve um, with working on my personal projects and, and stuff like that. Uh, it would be a big release and give me some kind of freedom to do 
to experiment, to travel, to um, spend time with my, um, with my beloved ones and to combine all the aspects that I enjoy the most out of life, uh, working, uh, having free time, spending time with family and friends. So, yeah. Okay. What's your favorite board game, video game, and movie? Hmm. So I'm not an easy person when it comes to favorites because I like a lot of different things from, for the different reasons. But let's start board game. Hmm. I don't know if you know this, and I have no idea how it's called in, in English. In German, it's called Mühle. What's it called? Let me, let me just look it up. I need to look it up. Yeah. Uh, give me a second. I mean, that's... Oops. So it's called Morris. You know? Morris? Really? Morris. Yeah, or the Merrill's, maybe British. Merrill's. Merrill. Uh, Cowboys Checker, it's also called. That's more like the American. But Merrill's. So it's 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 called after the mill. Uh, so so it's 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 uh, just a few lines and a few dots, and you have like seven stones, white and black, and you need to move them along the uh, the grid, and you need to uh, put always three together, and then you can just take away one of your um, um, of your other players' um, uh, little stones, and then you. I mean, that's the, it, it's a little bit like a, strategic, a clever strategic game, but it's it's. I, I like it a lot. So okay. So then, favorite movie? I don't know. This much. One favorite movie? I don't know which one to name. But let's say I like Inception a lot. I like Inception a lot. It's a great choice. <laughs> For different reasons, because I like the concept of dreaming and being in a dream and dream in a dream and the different kind of timelines, multiverse um, concept a lot and not being assured if what is real and what is not real uh, or is everything real and because everything has an effect on, on the other reality as well. Uh, and then it's it has a beautiful story and it's also visually made beautiful. But they use visual effects in such good manners because it just helps to really transport the, the, the whole atmosphere of the story and make the story believable. But it's not overwhelming visual effects like Transformers or something where, where everything is just visual effects, you know. So it's a very, I like the direction, how it's, how it's filmed, how it's produced, and the story, of course. The whole package. Oh yeah, for sure, definitely fantastic movie. And favorite board game. I mean, favorite video game. A favorite video game. Uh, yeah. Then I stick within the family, uh, <laughs> and uh, would recall video game and would say it is Hunt Showdown. Hunt Showdown. Okay. 
And what, like, what video game are you looking forward to? I know you're not the biggest gamer, but there's VR games coming out, probably some mobile stuff. Like, what video? There must be a game that you're thinking, I'm interested in that. Yain, <laughs> as we say in Germany, it means yes and no. Um, of course, I um, I'm aware of of somehow of the market and the releases, upcoming releases. But at the moment, there's not a single one which would trigger me this much that I would love to buy it. Okay, fair enough. And my final question, which is a two-parter, does money buy you happiness and what does a good life mean to you? So... Good one, good one. You definitely can have a, a happy life with money. You can also have a happy life without money, but it makes things so much easier because it helps you get released or do not build up pressure for certain things. So it helps you to get to, to focus more on more relevant tasks in life so to say. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. And a happy life is a life where, where I really understand not really, I'm not talking about purpose, but about what's, what I really want, what's really important to me. And, uh, and because you need to have a vision. Everyone needs a vision. It doesn't have to be a big vision because I was, when I was younger and people were talking about visions, I was thinking, okay, uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. But a vision can also be just like a, sing, a simple goal. Your vision can be, like you said, I want to run 10K uh, next year. So this is my vision. It's a goal. It's a dream. I don't know. You can call it whatever you want. But without any vision or dream or goal and you can have thousands of them but you need them because if you don't have them you don't know if you're going in the wrong direction you cannot follow a path because you do not know what the path is so you need to have some kind of path and this is needs to be adopted on a daily basis, sometimes even within a day but and you can change change plans, but you need to start with a plan because how to know to change a plan if you don't have one? Hundred percent, I agree. Like you need to have a purpose in life. You need to, like I say, you need to have a purpose in obviously the year and even the day. You know, you know, have goals. Understand things come up, things change. You might want to reorientate yourself, and you definitely will if you if you want to be successful and happy. As you grow older, priorities change things happen in the economy you know things get released whatever it is things will change but you know have a purpose have a plan don't passively you know live life you know actively make sure that you are involved in it and conscious of the decisions that you are making it's like you know if you're reading you know about science for example it is far better to have a you know a purpose for that obviously you know read 
for the sake of reading and it's not a bad thing you you know you get open up to new experiences so don't only you know let's say just study when you have an exam or you've got a job you know that you're trying to apply for but you know have a purpose you know behind it you know and you know a reason to do things and you know one of the areas that i see people really making this mistake and it's uh, uh, it's not obvious is when they're watching tv and what i mean by that is they'll just put the tv on and they'll just watch the least boring thing to basically pass the time and exactly. uh, it, it's different if let's say you've got a favorite tv show and you know it's coming out on a monday you know the new episode's coming out on a monday and you're excited for that. You put it on. You watch that episode. That's different. You, you know, you've got a purpose. Because it's a, exactly. That's yeah. the purpose already. Yeah. Whereas, uh, uh, obviously, now you've got Netflix, Disney, and all these other streaming services. It's a similar, you know, principle. But when you didn't have those, and you just had, you know, cable TV, satellite, that sort of stuff, people would turn the TV on, flick through the channels, and find the least boring thing that they could pass the next two hours with. Because like I said, it's different. If it's Monday, it's 8 p.m., your favorite show is going to come on, uh, you know, fine, you know, watch that. But when they're just flicking by just for the sake of it, it's there's literally no purpose. I see with people using social media now, uh, there'll be times, you know, I try and use social media as little as possible, but, you know, obviously I scroll as well sometimes. And I'll use it, and I'll we'll have used it for half an hour or twenty minutes, wasting my time. And I think I wish I had just picked up a controller and played thirty minutes of games, uh, and I would have been a lot happier at the end of it than scrolling on, you know, some, you know, you know, TikTok or Instagram, you know, you know, whatever it is, or just going on YouTube because you know it is that thing. You go on it, you think oh, I'm not going to be on there long, you know, just a couple of more scrolls, and you waste so much time. I just think. I wish I had just done something. It doesn't have to be work. Something I actually would want to do, you know, like, like I said, play a game or watch a TV show. That's funny. I had quite a similar um, chat with my oldest one, like uh, Saturday. So he had an argument with my wife, uh, my former former ex-wife about gaming. So he's 20 or he's turning 20. And he just um, he got his driver's license, motorbike license on Saturday morning. So, yeah. So um, uh, and he was excited and everything, but he didn't want to go out and meet friends. He, he just wanted to chill at the evening at, at home playing games and stuff. And uh, there's this younger son of mine also living there. And so my wife, she cut off the Wi-Fi. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and Kian was totally pissed um, because he wanted to play his games uh, and he said and she said no you can always watch anything on netflix or blah 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 uh, on the streaming platforms just watch a series watch a movie and he said no this is dead time because there's not one movie i want would like like to see right now on purpose so i would do that if i if there was like the specific movie i'm into i would love to see it but i'm not so i'm not just wasting my time hanging passively on the screen just you know, killing time. I want to play. I want to be active. I want to chat with my friends. And I want to be actively doing something. Yeah? And that's what he's recalling. He, gaming is active, is active time for him. So because it's also a social time. Yeah? He's with his friends all the time when he's playing. Yeah, I mean, the, 
that's definitely you know you know very interesting thing so so when you're saying with his friends are you still just talking about like he's in his house his friends are in their house or are you talking about they're physically in the same room no um they're not physically in the same room this happens not so often of uh, he's meeting friends but they're not meeting for gaming sometimes they a friend swing by or something but most of the time when they're playing they're meeting online and these friends are located in the near neighborhood but also there are people from all over worldwide you know? they come together for years now like they're playing together four years five years known each other never met never met in real life but you know if you meet up like twice or four or five times a month since four years you get to get to use a person so uh, get to get to to know a person somehow you know? oh yeah you I definitely mean, do this is uh, and this is fantastic, and so they both of them they had no issue with uh, all the corona and lockdowns and, and stuff because <laughs> their life was already happening like online somehow. Of course, they both love physical relationships and friendships and, and meetings and everything, but they are already they live in completely different kind of life that I I was living when I was younger, so I cannot complain to with or, or argue with them. You should do this or should you you should do, do that and do, do not be online like all the time because that is not my lifestyle. It's it's I grew up differently and I'm still a digital native somehow. You know, or I'm working within technology and stuff, but this is so different. My kids and and the next generation and even with their five years difference, they both experience life different already on the technological side and aspects of them. So for my younger one, it will be even more natural to use all these um, AI tools and stuff than it is for my for my uh, older one. Uh, even they now getting into all uh, it all the time, but the five years difference make a difference. Five it, years, huge difference. So short, such a short time. But now, now it feels like it's it's I don't know. It's like a, a century or ten centuries. I don't know. In, uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like the difference is insane. I remember I finished university in 2014, and in 2016 I was invited back to be a lecturer, and I was lecturing uh-huh. C++ games programming, game design, basically on a gaming course because you know that's what I did at uni. And mm-hmm. the students there in 2016, between me starting and them starting, was only about a five year you know gap, give or take. But, you know, they were all over Discord. You know, I use Discord, but, like, that was their primary, you know, exactly. chat chat application. For me, it had a specific purpose, whereas for them, it was that was the thing to go to. And, exactly. you know, they was all about, you know, these online battle arena video games, whereas for me, I grew up more on RPGs, FPS, those sort of games. And as and you know, racing games. So those were the games I gravitate towards. And even now, the battle arena style games, uh, you know, I don't play as much just because it's you know not what I grew up with. I prefer you know the other sort of game. And you know, just to see the difference in you know what they use and how they use technology. And like I said, it was a matter of five, maybe six years, and mm. you know the difference was insane it's just gonna get even more unlike you know you know just as you mentioned with ai before we wrap up like what's your take on chat gpt ai 
And like, is Crytek doing anything with AI for their, obviously, you know, they have AI in games, they always have, but with the new sort of AI? I mean, we're looking pretty closely into recent developments, for sure, as we're constantly developing um, our technology. Um, But we also are aware of some kind of legal restraints at the moment, especially when it comes to generative AI, Um, because it would be a blast to integrate these kind of technologies, uh, especially generative, um, in, into, uh, let's say, um, all the, the design works uh, of characters, of environments, of um, the, the, the whole gaming world. Uh, just imagine that you're playing. You can decide by, by starting the game if you would like to play it in a, a historical environment or an ancient or in a futuristic or whatever. And this could be made up, I mean, just as a general idea over the course of the next 10 years or something. And then you play in a completely different setup. You know, the same game and everything is adopted somehow. You have still the same story art, but the, uh, the uh, large language models behind them can reinterpretate the um, uh, the, the whole purpose of what you meant when you prompt at the beginning. So t- today I want to play this in a, a futuristic environment. Uh, um, let's say in 2071, and then uh, the whole game game will adapt. These are things or, or visions that, of course, will take years and years to come. But um, on on simpler levels, you could do so much things already when when it comes to textures and to uh, and to, to um, the whole asset creation. But on the legal side, you're still running into issues, and we will for sure will develop stuff that is for hundred percent legal proof. So, yeah. and uh, we're researching and, and observing all the different kind of trends. And I'm personally, I'm a huge fan. Uh, I was giving presentations like five years ago. Where, where, we're talking, where, we're talk, where I was talking about the things that I um, researched back in the days and we're observing like trends because I'm researching every day in, in so many different kinds of areas because I'm just curious. That's, that's all I am. I'm, I'm just a curious person. Uh, and I'm also, but I don't have like, I have a few like focus points and then I have these edges of these focus points, which also come with edges. And, and sometimes you get an information about something completely different that's, that somehow is connected to something completely different. And then it all fits together. And that's what I love about, um, about research and about, um, about the world in general, to be honest, uh, how everything is somehow connected. Um, I don't know. Sorry. No, I, I know you mean. I'm just drifting away. But I don't know. I'm a curious person. Really, I love it. I love to to figure out stuff, and 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 I love every time I I'm getting back in this kind of state because sometimes as everyone you get caught up by 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 life and 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 or by certain events blah 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 but somehow it it happens that I still can get into this kind of feeling really getting into it really getting exciting about what I'm doing when I'm doing what I'm doing. And that's what I love the most. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, the technology advances you see and, you know, just just seeing them, interacting with them. And you don't have to be a master at all of this stuff, but just having the open mind to, you know, interact with it, you know, look at it, you know, see what things are about. You know, I use ChatGPT so much now. It's, it's just, 
it definitely has enhanced my life. It's one of those things that it's, it's like Google. It's it's definitely going to change things. Maybe not ChatGPT specifically, but that type of AI modeling system. And I do look forward to it when it gets into video games and you know it's it's creating environments on the fly it's creating storyline on the fly or you know dialogue on the fly as well this is happening Uh, already you see so many games uh, that mm. pop out that use uh, like ChatGPT and other large language models uh, for um to to, to keep the story um more active more interactive and, and it really works out well um, so I'm a big fan of that. And what I like about this whole um, development within the um, AI segment nowadays is it's so easy. It, 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 the interfaces are simple. Uh, it's easy to adopt. You just need to learn the specifics about, let's, if you talk about prompting, prompt engineering, and why you do what you do. But the tool itself is not just one tool. And out of the sudden, it's like you're owning a company just by one tool set. And then you combine maybe one or two and you can do even greater things. But it it comes back to the idea. That's what I love about the, the possibilities. They, in my opinion, the AI technologies you're seeing at the moment is bringing to all of us. It really comes comes back and breaks it down to the idea. Because you have one you have tool sets that enables you uh, enabling you uh, in so many different ways, which are enabling you in so many different ways that you could not even think about just like 10 years ago. Oh yeah. Like, you know, what it's, you know, what it's doing and the capabilities that it's going to bring. It's, it's mind boggling, but it's also exciting. And obviously, you know, like uh, I know you're saying it's, it's in some video games, but I can't wait till it's in the bigger games. you know, like the crisis, you know, games and it's, you know, just in a small way, do you know, like how in Crisis you can have side missions? Like if you don't do the side missions and you get to the main mission and there's like a particular type of dialogue, and then if you do the side mission, but depending on what order you do them, how long you take, and let's say if you kill, if you did it silently, I know you can do that with just essentially a lot of conditional logic, but obviously the AI aspect of it would definitely make it a lot more dynamic. That's, you know, what I'm really excited for. I mean, it's great to have generative environments and full generative, you know, experiences, but the small stuff where it's very concentrated and, you know, the overall part of it is, you know, pre-coded, pre-built, but then there's certain aspects and you just, you know, you listen to it or you interact with it and you think, that actually feels like I'm talking to or I'm interacting with a real person, not just some you know text, some dialogue that was written by a human that is just getting you know pre-read. Nothing pre- exactly, nothing pre-produced. So, like you said, interactive, but not um, on a on a what if, but more yeah, on yeah, a exactly. Level. Yeah. yeah. And if that, uh, you know, affects the dialogue later in the game, you know, let's say if at the start of the game, you're not the, you know, the best at shooting and you're missing a lot. And then towards the end of the game, you're really good. Like one of the characters is like, you know, you've come a long way since, you know, so-and-so, they won't say so-and-so level, but so-and-so mission at this island, for exa- you know, example. You know, like, it, you know, a comment like that would be, you know, fantastic. Or, you know, it's like, you, you know, you really like using the shotgun, don't you? You, you, you know, <laughs> something along those, you know, those lines. You know, I know. 
you know, you know that sort of stuff. It, it just makes you think, ooh. Plus, it means when you play it again, if you change things up a bit, you'll get that slightly different experience and that dialogue and the replayability aspect as well because you know it's going to be a bit different the next time you play it. Plus, because if you've already played it now and you know how to do certain things, you know how things work in the game, what's the dialogue going to be You know, as a result of that? And what's the potential for cross you know game you know logic transferring over like let's say playing crisis one and then let's say assuming they were all built using some sort of ai model like this in mind and then playing crisis two and then you know you you just seen dialogue based on the experience and the things that you did in number one like you know how you have saves that carry over and you unlock stuff but that with dialogue or you know what you've done for example yeah, I can tell that you really were thinking a lot about the opportunities and potential of this kind of technology. Oh yeah, as 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 we. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is this is exactly what I was talking about. We have this kind of you know uh, meetings where we um, also discuss asking more or less similar questions um, as an open format, um, and, and because so many. People have different kind of insights, but also like um, not just technological insights, but also like complaints and uh, are scared. Or and so we have this open kind of dialogue about these kind of technologies, and it's always come uh, and and, and um, then it, it really turns very quickly turns into more like a brainstorm meeting. <laughs> well, uh, what you can do and how you can use it. Then someone brings up some kind of reference, and it's beautiful. I love it. These are the moments I love the most because then it's a very, very like getting constructive and and, and um, creative. Yeah. Opportunities. I love opportunities. 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 Bring them. <laughs> make them. Make them happen. <laughs> make it possible. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, you know what it brings. All this new stuff. So yeah, I mean. That's it, folks. That's the you know that's what I have to ask Pascal. I mean, it's been great having you on, Pascal. Appreciate you taking you know the two hours or so that we've been on the podcast to come on. I look forward to seeing you know the you know Crisis Four. I look forward to seeing the other announcements that you you know kind of hinted at and teased from Crytek. So I can't wait for them. And uh, you know, hopefully you'll come back on the podcast again you know let's say you know when there's something that's come out you know another announcement so we can talk about them more in depth because i understand you know you can't talk too much about certain unannounced you know products so yeah thank you pascal for coming on hopefully you enjoyed it and anyone that is listening i'll see you in the next episode of fire dev and you know, go check out hunt showdown and the other crytek products obviously take a look at crisis if you haven't played it but you know make sure you got a bit of money saved because you're going to need it for your computer <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me it was my great pleasure thank you take care bye-bye